welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Good morning. Hi, everybody. Here in New York State, it's 10 a.m., so it's morning. Uh, for the people in Europe or in Israel, it's in the afternoon or the evening. Good afternoon, good evening. Enjoy, enjoy your day, sober day. I would like everybody, before we start, I would like to everybody join me in the church step prayer. God, I yoke myself to thee to do with me as I will. Relieve me with the bondage of service that I may be ready to die. Will take away my difficulties, the victory over them may be win to those that would have with thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May you die will always. Amen. <coughs> Thank you very much. It's an honor of being asked, and uh, God works in very mysterious ways. Yesterday, I marked my 28th anniversary on the Hebrew calendar of being sober uh, day to day and continuously. And um, like a week ago, Daniel called me up and would like to be a speaker. And, um, and today, November 18th, November 19th, I mean, uh, yesterday was my celebration. So I was very, very touched. I said, God has given me an opportunity to celebrate with his people, with our, my own people. And um, I want to tell you that uh, I've been sober 28 years, and thank God the compulsion has left me. I do not have today a fight on a day-to-day basis, if I should act out or not. Um, the compulsion has left me sometimes around the end of the first year, maybe the beginning of the second year, as I stayed sober. But I still have I, I still have the knowledge and know that the most important thing in my program is the first step. And whenever I check in in my home group, the tradition in my home group that we check in and we, and we say, what step I'm working on today? And whenever I check in, I say, I'm a sexaholic, and today I'm step one. Because my sponsor, my, my, was a, it was my A sponsor took me through the steps. I was simultaneously growing together in AA and SA, and uh, the steps I went through with my A sponsor, and they taught me that the most, and all the other steps, it's okay not to be perfect. But on the first step, has to be a solid, perfect first step. If my first step is shaky, then my life is in danger. And that's the foundation of my program today. After 28 years, every day I say, God and powerless, God and powerless. Regardless if I have sexual uh, thoughts, I say, God and powerless, please keep me sober. Please keep me sober. Without thy power, I cannot stay sober. Please keep me sober. It's all yours. It's not me. And um, I want to tell you, you know, that for um, 
20, from age 12 to age 25, I tried to stay sober. And age 12 was the first time in my life I masturbated. And I felt guilty and coming from a religious background. I know it's a sin. And I felt guilty and I made promises never to do it again. Understandable that I was not able to keep my promises. In the beginning, my promises used to last for uh, two or three weeks, and then came down to two weeks, then once a week, and then I, acted, I started acting out every few days, and always making promises and promises and promises. <clears throat> or the thing came a time where I just gave up on my life completely. I felt I'm never going to be a month or anything, so I might as well just act out. And 28 years ago, God, by miracle, took me and dropped me off by you. I'm saying by you, by you, by you, as a people. And you, got, you told me that the, the, was like music. When my first essay meeting, the message I got, what I heard from you is, Hanoch, stop trying. You're never going to win this. They were going to be able to overcome this. Just give up. And the minute you tempt it, say, God, it's yours. God, it's yours. And I've been doing it since November 27th, 1992. And the Hebrew calendar, the Hebrew calendar sometimes, you know, the Hebrew year sometimes a little longer than the general year, sometimes a little shorter. This year, yesterday was the mark of 28 years on the Hebrew calendar. The general calendar will be next week, 10 days from now, 8 days, the 27th day of November. Now, my sponsor, who took me through the steps, took a big book and showed me. He said, Look, go through the book, open the book. Said to me like this. First he told me, in order to know he told me my sponsor that the big book is a study book. It's not a story book that you read once. It's a book that you need to study. It's a textbook. And you need to learn it. You need to know it. And to this day, I have a commitment. I read two pages in the big book every day in the morning. It's part of my morning meditation. I read, I read two pages of this, this damn book. I, I finished this book probably a few hundred times. I went through it. When I say this book, I mean the first 164 pages. That's the textbook, instructions book, how to lead a spiritual, sober life. How to get to a place to have a spiritual awakening. That's what this book did to me. So my sponsor told me that I must read the preface. Then the forward, the first edition, to learn the growth, history of AA. Forward, the second edition. The other forward, forward to the fourth edition, third edition, fourth edition, and the doctor's opinion. The doctor's opinion is one of the most important things to live with. Not only know it, to live with it. I, to my heart, the doctor taught me, teaches me, and I say teaching, it's not only taught me once before, I still keep studying it again and again, over and over, because I want it to be part, to be part of my blood. 
I wake up with that feeling. I wake up knowing with the knowledge into my part of me. I have a first day. The doctor told me, Dr. Silkworth, that I have a disease. The disease has three parts physical, emotional, spiritual. Physical means that my body craves my addiction. And by me, it was. It was with masturbation, alcohol, crack cocaine, and the girls, streetwalkers. <clears throat> I want to say that, just to understand where I'm coming from, that I started masturbation at age 12, at uh, age 19, maybe 20, it escalated more and more and more to walking on the streets. Cruising, and then finally I start, started picking up streetwalkers, and I became very good at it. I knew in New York, where I live, and New York is a big city, and there are different neighborhoods. I became very, very knowledgeable. I always needed to change this type of girl, that type of nationality. I became very, very knowledgeable. I knew every neighborhood, what type of prostitutes they have, and that was my addiction. And together with that, that's my core addiction came that, you know, and there's a saying in, in this family of the 12th group that one is too many and thousand is not enough. That's exactly one is too many and thousand, thousand prostitutes didn't satisfy me. But even more than that, I had to find ways maybe even make it, make it better, make it better. So finally, I picked up a drug called crack cocaine, and I used to act out together. Every time I picked up a hooker, I had to get some crack cocaine, and that was my sexual. That's the only way I was able to to enjoy it, to enjoy my acting out. But in the later years, the enjoyment was gone. I lost the enjoyment, and I just could not stop doing it. I used to spend thousands of dollars behind and above my my wallet. I used people's money, I used my credit cards, I was managing other people's assets, I used their money for my acting out. My life is falling apart. So the doctor explains, this doctor, Dr. Silkworth explains in this, this book, that this disease has three parts, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Physical means that the body craves it without a mind even, that autopilot. It means that I used to get up in the morning and run act out, or middle of the night, run act out. I'll give you a few examples. I uh, I'm embarrassed to say this, but yesterday I shared with my friends here locally. Uh, one time I woke up in the middle of the night, I was very dressed, I was in my underwear. I ran to my car and drove to act out. As I drove home from the acting out place, I came to a accident. I, I came to an intersection, it was a major accident. People were laying on the ground, and I'm in my underwear. And I, I'm rolling down the window, I'm asking them what, they said to me, call the police, call the police. And here I was undressed, I was embarrassed. I had to, I said to them, I, I have to go home, come back. I, I drove home and I came, by the time I came back, there was a whole lot of police there and uh, ambulances were taken care of. That's how powerless I was over my addiction.
many, many times I used to go to the acting art place and sometimes cruise the, the area for an hour, two hours sometimes, and fight it myself. Don't do it, don't do it, do it, don't do it, do it, don't do it. And saying to myself, go home, go home. What are you doing here? Go home. There's a, there's a normal voice telling me, Hannah, what are you doing? Anybody? I'm sure you're familiar with that feeling. Anybody here? It could be on the computer also. Go home, go home. What are you doing here? Just turn around. And I couldn't. My body was chained. I was in the jail. I was like, somebody's pulling me. But my body was uh, was locked, was, was chained to acting out. I used to act out. And endless times, countless times, again, again, again. And then sometimes I used to say, I'm anyway, I'm good for nothing, just as well do it. And so there was a, the last years of my acting out, or the la in the last few years I was acting out, I basically made peace with myself, I'm a piece of dirt anyway. So my job is only to make sure I'm leading a double life, nobody finds out what I'm doing. But I'm, I'm never going to stop anyway. However, God, and this is what the Roy K talks in the, in the White Book a lot. In my darkest place in life, in the place where I acted out with the hooker, I smoked crack with her together, that's where God was. And God was there watching for me. It's a miracle, and he wanted to save me. And God made sure that I hit a bottom that I have to go for help. <clears throat> On November, and in the summer of 1991, I became very, very desperate because I was losing the cover. I couldn't manage what I had a wife and family, and I couldn't manage my business, and my family, and at the same time, continue what I'm doing. And my wife confronted me, so I contacted a helpline. It was a short advertisement. If you have an addiction, call this number. I called up, and they sent me to a clinic, and they told me about something called 12-step program. But I started going to meetings. And I told them that uh, I like the meetings, but it, to me it's the girls. It's not the cocaine, it's not the alcohol, it's the girls. And they said to me, you know, they said to me, you have to, <laughs> you have to learn. And I'm talking about it, it's very important. They said to me, I got a good a sponsor, and he said to me, you need to learn to masturbate. Like a, like a normal person. Masturbate is normal, but you can't go out there, you know, to, to do it, do what you do, go to the street walkers. And he said to me, you need, so this is what the big book talks about, learning to manage, to manage my loss. He said to me, by yourself, there's no internet then. So my sponsor told me, get yourself a few magazines, hide in some place, when you feel an urge, Release yourself, go to the bedroom like a human being, you know, respectful person. That's what normal people do. You go to the bedroom, you release yourself and back to normal life. But you can't go down, down the streets and the cruising and all the stuff. I said to him, you don't understand me. It just it doesn't satisfy me. It only makes me hungry. It's like the alcoholic drinking a glass of beer. And I said to him, and my I said to him, it doesn't, it only it makes me, gives me more pain, makes me more hungry. And my my AA sponsor said to me, no, no, you have to learn. That's called, that called, in the big book, it says about, if you're not sure you're an alcoholic, big book says, go to a bar and take a few drinks. And 
to try to control drinking, or try to stop for a year. So my AA sponsor, who was not familiar with the SA program, told me that I should try to control my lust. By, you know, he said, there's normal people, buy yourself a few magazines and do it in a normal way. Normal way. And I tried really hard for a year. <laughs> I tried to become a normal sex and acting out only when I needed and keep it controlled and in a secret way. And a year after, I went out, I went out to a neighborhood. My legs took me. Here's the comment in talking about the first step. A year later, it was in November 26th of 1992, I was celebrating in a year of being away from prostitutes and, and stopped, using, stopped using alcohol and drugs. And I was, in the, I was in the city someplace and my legs literally took me, I made a turn, I took a subway to a different neighborhood where, I, where the street walk is available. As I was doing it, I was saying to myself, what are you doing? What are you doing? Just turn around. And I could not turn around go back. And the reason why that last time was so vivid, because I was sober, I was already a year going to a lot of AA meetings. That's the beauty that because I had some spiritual growth, I was already going to some AA meetings. I was able, I used to, to have a spiritual touch. It was the beginning of a spiritual touch I had a year before. The other 12-step program, I was able uh, to realize what am I doing. My mind was was not totally in a fog as before, and I was able to see clearly that I'm doing something against my own will. That my body is pulling me to a place, my legs are carrying me to a neighborhood, to a place where I really don't want to be. And I was crying, I was crying along the way, go home, go home, the normal voice. And yet I could not turn around and go home. I was powerless, I was powerless. Whenever I talk about it, it's very emotional and I'm happy. I'm happy I remember that pain because that's my first step. God gifted me with the first step. God, and to this day, I owe my life to, to God for, for giving me this first step. That I call that day, the acting out the last time was, I was somewhat in touch with reality because I have some 12 step, you know, with the 12 step experience. And I saw very clearly what I'm doing. I'm acting out against my own will. I value my will. And it, it was an act of a few hours. Uh, the ride there was about three quarters of an hour. All along the way, I was saying to myself, it's just good to me. Turn around, turn around, turn around. And I couldn't. I came out in the neighborhood where I acted out. And I walked around the block for two hours, close to two hours, now three quarters, fighting in myself. Don't do it. Don't do it. Go home. Go home, and yet I could not go home. I'm sure you, many of you are familiar with that feeling. What are you doing? Go home, go home. The, the normal voice, my head is telling me, just go home, and I couldn't. And I acted out, <coughs> so I picked up a street walker, and I took her to the motel, and I acted out of her, and I, I couldn't enjoy it. 
didn't do it. I was fearful of dying. I knew that that uh, this is my life. I'm playing my life. And after I finished the act, I said to her, just take the money, leave. And I was coming down the stairs from the motel. I was crying. And there's a voice in my head telling me, Hanukh, you're a dead man. I'm a dead man. I felt like I'm a walking body without any spirit inside. I'm dead. I'm a dead body walking around. And I was. I was. But God was there with me. God, I want to share with you that I felt then that this is the worst thing in my life. The worst day of my life, my life is over. Today I know, in hindsight, that was the best day of my life. Because God gave me then there a first step. This is the foundation of a new life. What a beauty. And this just comes back to 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 what we learned in the program so many times that I'm so limited in understanding God's plans. Sometimes what seems to me the worst turns out to be the best. That day was the worst day of my life. But that's the way I felt then. A few years later, now after 28 years, there was the best day, one of the best days, the best moments of my life. Because I was gifted them in the first step. I knew then that my life is over. That I never, 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 never be able to stop this behavior. And I was broken. The next, very next day, I had an appointment with a therapist. I came to her office. And I sat down and started crying. And I said to her, my life is over. I said, this damn 12 steps of AA don't work for me. See, as I said, I go to tons of meetings for some other people it works. But for me, AA doesn't work. I have issues they don't have. I said, I don't know what they're talking about alcohol and, and, and how beautiful the life is, they stop drinking. I said, I really don't know. I don't know. I, I seem to be very unique. Very unique. And I'm a dead. I'm a dead person. And I was crying and crying and crying. And she just kept saying, don't give up, don't give up. I said, I don't know what to do. Why should I turn? What can I do? And finally, towards three quarters of the session, she said to me, I think I heard there's a name called Essay, there's a fellowship of dealing with people who are sexually addicted. So they say, where is that? Where are they? Where can you find them? She said, I don't know. Let's go information. Let's see if there's a line, if there's a registry, a telephone register for essay. That's the beauty of carrying the message. There's a listing. Call them information. We have seen the data essay listing. I called up. There's an answering service. And I was scared to leave a message because here I was married. I didn't have a cell phone. It was pre pre-cell phone days, not only very rich people had cell phones. I didn't have a cell phone and I could leave a message and call back my home. So in the next week or so, I was so eager, so desperate to get in touch with SA. I was able to stay sober out of the desperation and kept calling that number day, early morning, morning, Noon, afternoon, evening, see, maybe somebody will pick up the phone while I'm calling. After so many multiple tries, I had no choice. So I said, come home and tell me, out of desperation, because I had the first step, I told my wife, that I have a problem with her saying. 
and and I had to call and say, the next time day, somebody, somebody's going to call me back. And she didn't like the idea. She didn't like. She said, "What? What is you going to talk about sex? About me? Are you excited?" No, no. I said, "No." And we had a, a conversation back and forth, and finally, out of desperation, I blurted out and said, "You know, I cheated on you." Out of desperation, it came because I wanted to be consequent. I say, "I do not suggest that you do the universe covering this way, but to me, this is how it happened." I was desperate to get in touch with that say. And I asked my wife if somebody calls back, and she says, no, I don't want to talk about our bedroom. And I had to blur that I said, I cheated on you. And she started crying. But she let go. She, she allowed me. She finally resigned to take a call from SA and gave me the phone. And somebody called me. It was Jeff. It's the beauty of doing service. Somebody was there to answer my phone and call back. And he, I was on quite some time with him on the phone. I explained to him about the background, the AA, and the 12 steps, what it seems to be, doesn't work for me. And he said, yes, yes, yeah, you're right, you're right. I'm like you. And uh, he said to me, uh, I said to him, I really need a sponsor. He said to me, you know what? I think I have somebody who could sponsor you. But I can't give out his number, unlimited uh, policies. I have to talk to him first. Give me 10, 15 minutes, I'll call you back. And he called my sponsor, and he made a connection to me, my sponsor. And uh, the beauty of service, being available to sponsor, being there, give out the numbers. And uh, I got in touch with my sponsor, I've been a good friend with him since then. We grew together in the past 28 years. Now, what happened? I went to my first essay meeting and I heard something that I never heard before in my life. I heard people telling me, hey, no, just give up the fight, give it up. Whenever you get the urge, urges, just give it to him, give it to him, give it to God. And since that day, when I would, I would, and the first year was so intense, everything was sexualized. And my sponsor told I said, my sponsor, I don't understand. Not everything was sex before. My sponsor explained to me that your body is craving it. You didn't, you don't give in, so the craving even hits harder. Meaning, you, you are making, my body is getting hungry. And before, whenever I got urged, I, I, I acted out. But now that I'm not, not giving in, the urges are getting very strong. Stronger, stronger, and all I did is the first probably two years, I would say more than the first year, a year and a half, every all day. God help me, apologize. God help me, apologize. Help me just for today, just for today. I don't care about tomorrow. Just help me for today. Repeat that prayer over and over and over and over, over. My father said to me, "You don't have to say." But every word is comfortable when you feel comfortable. But just keep begging him to keep you sober for today, for today. That's the first step. Has been working, still sober. <clears throat> to this day, even though I went to, I'm saying this very, very humble, God has removed the obsession from me. I do not have, in the, 
Sometimes I used to think that the first year and a half I was in the program, I was closer to God than now. Because then my prayers to God were so intense all day. I was saying, God help me, God help me, help me, Apollos, help me, Apollos. Because everything was everything I saw was sex. Everything I saw was a body. Whatever I saw was a, was a green light, was a red light. Everything was, was, was a woman's part. You understand? Everything became a sexual life. And if someone tanks, I used to go to the shower in the bedroom. I used to pray in the shower or to have the shower or the bedroom all the time or in bed. Somebody used to go to bed and to sleep and, and, and pray and say, maybe it's not. I jump out of bed, go back to bed, jump out. I was so, so afraid of acting out. And long the time, it became less and less. And God has removed me. God has returned me to sanity. But I still have to take that first step. And that first step, I, I'm petrified. I'm telling you, my dear friends, I'm petrified that I might do that first step. God has given me a gift. The question is, you know, I, I told Harvey, one of the old-timers, that I was gifted in the first step. How could I judge other people? So Harvey said to me that it's not true. Most people come to say, have that moment. Question is, what do I do to hold on to that moment? That gift of the first step. So I read the Bible every day. I repeat the prayers every day. I do service. And I talk about the first step. And whenever I work with a response, I tell them the doctor's opinion has to be read at least four times before we go any further. If I don't have, if I don't live the doctor's opinion, if I do not have it in my blood, it's not part of my, of my soul, I'm, I might be dead. This my life, the doctor's opinion. I breathe it, physical, emotional, spiritual. The physical has left me, but the emotional is a lifetime process. It also become easier. Emotional means that I do not know how to deal with my emotions. When I get overwhelmed with emotions, let it be fear, financial insecurity, or resentments that drives me to sexual fantasy. And so I had to do, in order to get healed in that part of my life, I had to do a fourth and fifth step. And boy, I want to tell you, the fourth and fifth step really cleared me up. After the fifth step, my sponsor read me the promises, the fifth step of promises. My sponsor read me the promises after the, first, after the fifth step. And I was I was relieved. Somehow everything in life became different. No vision. Somehow God has taken my eyeglasses, wiped them. Suddenly everything I see differently. Not perfect. The emotional, the physical part is mostly gone. The emotional part is, I would say, also gone in the, ma- in the major part, but not fully. Sometimes I'm overwhelmed with emotions especially uh, I deal with major, major issues in life. And uh, so I have to come back to the first step. <clears throat> I was hit, I want to tell you something. I was hit with the COVID virus in the March 26th, March 27th, I got sick with the virus. And, and I felt powerless. I, I went right away, I lived home alone with, the, with me and my son, with a mentally tired child. And, I, I felt overwhelmed. How am I going to be able to live? And first thing is I know is that, that lost is in, is in the back door. 
if I, if I, if I, and my fear, lost comes in. And I know that they have to surrender, surrender, surrender. It was, a, it was a, it's a, it's a way of God calling me. Instead of seeing it as a punishment, it's a way of getting closer to God. God could, I went through the virus. I was two weeks very sick. I was in bed two weeks with the COVID virus. <clears throat> You're all familiar with that issue, <laughs> COVID-19. The whole world knows about it. And um, the first day I got sick, and I, I went, who was going to, We seem to have lost Hannah. Hopefully, he'll come back. Curious. Yeah, we are back. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was full of fear, and I know, and I, I was at meetings more than ever before. I joined Zoom meetings. I called my sponsor more often. I spoke to people in the program. I knew I have to be more involved in order not to. This is from working the steps. I know that I having a first step, having a first step. Knowing that this is going to happen, and I'm going to come to a place where I can live, God, God should watch over me. I should, God should save me from it. I should not come back to a place where I'm powerless. I know I have to redouble my program in an emotional time, emotional, stressful time. So, because I was trained with the first step, I'll come back to the first step. I say, you know, my car runs on gas, airplane runs on gas. Every vehicle in the world has a certain energy you have to be running on, you know. I have an energy, the energy I run on is called the first step. I have to fill up the tank in the first step all the time. If it gets empty, it's <laughs> big trouble, big trouble. After and after working on the first step continuously. And I tell my sponsors, first step, first step, first step, first step. The first step pushes me, pushes me to the second, third, Fourth and fifth step, intense step, you know, to look at myself. I'm selfish, fearful, dishonest, and, and all come with the first step. Because I know if I'm not going to do those steps, I will come back missing the first step. It's going to go away. My sponsor taught me, he said to me that, he said, you're going to realize, God forbid, sometimes you could start working the steps backwards. That's very, very, very bitter. He said to me, we get lazy, we stop carrying the message, we don't want to answer the phone. Then, we, then the next thing is, we don't want to talk to God. The next thing is, I don't want to admit why I'm wrong. Next thing is, I don't want to make amends, people are hard. Next thing is, I want to erase them. So, God forbid. So, I'm not perfect. And you know, sometimes it happens here and there, I'm lazy to answer the phone, and then I say, well, wait a minute, what am I doing? Starting going backwards, I have to catch myself. Because all comes back to the first step. <clears throat> I, I, I myself, I have to, I have to say to my, to you, my friends, I feel that not enough emphasis is even put on the first step. That remembering the, the powerlessness, remembering the pain I was, how desperate I was. And how I couldn't stay sober, how much I wanted, how much I tried. And I try, whatever, whoever I work with, to constantly talk about the first step. Here I am sober. Um, and, and nine and a half years ago, 
I went through something very emotional in my life. My wife passed away from cancer. She was a year and a half sick with cancer. And I walked through the process. I lived with a person I loved who went from good to bad to worse to worse to worse until she finally died. And the last few months, I, she couldn't take care of herself. I physically had to take care of her. I was able to do it in a sober way. And that was, again, another very, very stressful time where I had to come back to my first step again and again and again. Beg God, beg God. Lost wasn't there, but I knew. I knew because I did the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh step that if I allow myself if I want to be careful, I'm going to go back to my first step, God forbid. Lost comes in, the next thing, lost comes in. And I read over my first step, begging God, begging God, answering the phone, talking to them, calling people, answering the phone. My sponsor taught me that the, the steps work in a, in a circle. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. One, two, three, four, five, you know, it goes again and again. We finish the 12th day, go back to the first. Yes. <clears throat> there isn't enough words how much I could bring out my thankfulness to God and to essay. You have taken a broken vessel that was a piece of dirt. I came in here, basically, I knew that I, I was chained to my addiction. I was a prisoner in my addictions. You've taken the broken person, you freed me, you put me back to a sane, normal life. Today I keep a time, I keep an appointment, I keep a word. I'm, my wife was able to trust me again. Whenever I gave her a time, a word, I showed up, I was there. And there's not enough words. It's all thanks to you. I want to say that it's your celebration. My 28th anniversary is your celebration to prove that the first the God, God is here. God is in trust. God is in the rooms, I say. But it's more than that. God was there in that hotel, that stingy hotel where I was acting out the last time. God was there with me. God gave me then and there first step. And I thought that God hates me and God wants to destroy me, God was there to save me. It is unconditional love. He was there to save my life. So, uh, yeah, my folks, my dear friends, again, first step, first step, first step. That's the basis. Thank you so much. We have a bunch of questions that have come in already, so we're going we're gonna to ask you a few of the questions. Um, really, thank you so much, and congratulations again on 28 years. Um, one day, one day at a time. Um, the first question about religion: How does your religion relate to your program? Do you keep them completely separate, or do you incorporate your faith with your program? Okay, so through the twelve steps, in the first few years, I had to put aside my religion. I would say my program became a priority in life. My religion very secondary. And uh, I lacked very much in practicing a lot of parts of my religion. But through the 12 steps, I had this personal awakening. And I came back to a place where, as the 12 and 12 teaches us, that 
that from the 12th time we should come back to my origin. And I came back full-fledged to my religion, and I, I see every part of my religion as part of the steps. Thank you. Thank you so much, Hanek. Uh, man, this was such a powerful share for me. You know, I've lived most of my life or in my program with every temptation is an invitation to turn to God, but you switched that to a very beautiful, it's a way of God calling me. Man, that was that was absolutely beautiful. Thank you for that. That was very powerful. Here's our next question. Uh, first off, I want to say thank you for sharing your story, your step one. I still struggle taking the first step completely. At times, I think I can have emotional sobriety even if I'm not sexually sober. Crazy, but that's me. Any thoughts on how to go the full way, as he's saying? Okay, so I have to say that the big book says that the, when we get the first, I got the first step, not in the rooms. The big book says you get the first step in the bar. The big book says go to the bar, try control drinking, try to stop for a year. As in fact, the first step came to me in that hotel, in the, in the acting out. And Harvey told me that we all have it. We have moments we have it. And what do I do to remember it? So when I keep saying, I keep, my, my sponsor told me that repetitive prayers has a, has a lot of weight. Repetitive prayers, God the God the My sponsor said to me, if you make sure by 10 o'clock in the morning you've said it 200 times. If you said it 200 times by 10 o'clock in the morning, you have a chance. Then you, it will stay in your body, that feeling. So repetitive prayers helps. Thank you. Uh, another question. How do you deal with family members, community members, and other rabbis and congregants who view me as a sinner and not as a sick person getting better? What, what do I tell them? What do you tell them? <clears throat> okay, so uh, again, I take advice from old timers, and uh, I, in my, in my, I belong in my community. People don't know about the 12 steps. Although in my community, there are people who join my home group and they know me, and but we keep it very anonymous in the synagogue and the community, and uh, good friends. They don't know. Not everybody has to know. And uh, I had a story in the synagogue where I belong, where a, a boy molested multiple children in the, in the community and was found out. I was I want to go to tell all the parents that I belong in the say and I told me keep. Keep it clean. Don't, don't, don't be such a big shot. Keep your community out. No. So I made the decision. The decision was the t teaching. What I was taught is I carry the message when people, if somebody shows up in the meeting, I would open up to you. But I do not open up in, the, in, the, in my job. I'm a, I'm a rabbi, I'm in the synagogue. It might be dangerous. But if they, today there's so much about them, people are referred to the meetings. So if a person is referring to a meeting, I do not mind it to meet him there to open up myself in the meeting. Once he is there. Because for the people you approach outside, a big part of them will not come to meetings. So it's, I'm not supposed to endanger my life, my family, and my position because of that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I had to stay sober. My life isn't manageable when I act out, but I never 
had that level of doneness, being done, desperation, which in turn, I fell into relapse again and again. So the question is, what do you, Hannock, tell a person that doesn't slash didn't have such a step one experience? I'm very embarrassed to say this, but don't take it as being selfish. I am not a professional. I could only talk from experience. And there are people in the program who did have a first step with much lesser degrees of of harmfulness like I had. You know, I was acting out in the streets with girls in a very dangerous way. There are today hundreds of people in the program who only acted out with the computer and the internet pornography. And you will find people. That's why in a lot of meetings we say, I want, we introduce ourselves by saying our MO so people will find identification. I talk to people who identify with me. I'm not a professional. I cannot talk from being smart. I only talk from experience. I'm sorry for saying that. Meaning, Thank you. Meaning if that person feels he doesn't identify with me, he should find another person that he does identify with. Mm-hmm. How do I sit with my discontentedness that leads me to run away and not be present with myself and my children? So one day at a time, you know, the sixth or seventh step, my sponsor told me is a lifetime journey. And through our first step, we discover my shortcomings. And, uh, and I could say I'm much better than it. I'm now 28 years sober. I, when I look back on, my, on myself, if I continue working the steps, I see now that when I was five years sober, I was a very different person than when I was one year sober. When I was 10 years sober, at a much higher level, different level. I was five years sober, every five years I'm transformed to a different person. It's a job, we work on it one day at a time, one hour at a time, just maybe uh, I take it myself, try this week to become better in certain things, a little bit here, a little bit there, we grow, the process of growth. If I'm sober, I can grow. Thank you so much. Why do you still need the program after so many years? What will happen if you leave the program? <clears throat> First thing is, I'm going to answer you the, the, harsh, the harsh answer first. If I would walk by a, a swimming pool and I would see a person drowning in water, and I would say, I, I don't want to save them because I'm going to get wet. My clothes going to get wet. I'll be almost guilty of murder meaning turning away my head because I don't want to get wet, God forbid, a person is drowning, I don't want to save him. How could I stop going to meetings? I have something God has given me. There are people drowning. They might die because I don't want to, I want to stop going to meetings because I'm selfish. How could I do that? I mean, I can't, if I, 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 somewhat spiritual, how could a person do that? I mean, I have, God has given me a gift to save people's lives. How could I not be there for people who are drowning? It's very, very selfish if I would do that. It's the one thing. The other thing is that I enjoy being part of the fellowship and, 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 and it helps to grow. 
I don't know, I go to meetings. The more to meetings I go now, I'm quiet. I need to lose myself. And I like to listen. I listen so much to other people sharing. Amazing the growth I have. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I've been in the program for over 10 years. I've been through the steps and I've experienced joy, recovery, and miracles. I've always had a sponsor in sobriety. It's been sometimes one week, two weeks, one month, two months, six months, but it always ends in a slip. I'm resigned to be a chronic relapser. Where do I go from here? The relapse is asking. The answer is that, sorry, I talk about my own experience, but there are people, if you go to a group, if you go to lots of meetings, you will find people who are, who are able to get sober after many, many years of slipping and slipping, and finally they got sober. So it's worth it to talk to those people, because in SA, we talk from our own experience, not from professionalism. I'm not a doctor, not a sex therapist, I'm not a sex educator, I talk to my experience, so, in fact, not only I talk, I was able to be helped by people with my experience. So that person with a chronic slipper needs to find people who are chronic slippers, who were chronic slippers, and today they're sober. And I'll work for him. I just want to say that God doesn't give up on people. And for 23 years of my life, I acted out and thought that God hates me and hates me and hates me and wants to destroy me. And after years later, I realized that God was in the worst, in the darkest days, he was there with me and he wanted to save my life. Thank you so much, Hannah. Uh, it says, hi, Hannock. Thank you for sharing your pain and first step experience and how you've been working it. I really appreciate that you shared it took a year for the sexual craving to go away. I noticed that everything is sexualized, even if it wasn't be sexual before. My craving brain makes it every makes everything sexual. My question is, how often do you speak to your sponsor in that first year? And did you develop a morning spiritual routine? And if so, what did it look like? Okay. The first year I called my sponsor every day. We used to run to meetings, tons of meetings. Between AA and, and SA, seven to 10 meetings a week. And I lived in the meetings. My business was failing and thank God I had lots of time. We used to hang out the meetings in the fellowship, go to people for lunch, for dinner, after meeting, come the phone, come early, leave late. Because I was so scared of losing it, I used to hang on to the fellowship as much as I, as I, as I was able to. And uh, little by little, my life became more fruitful. I became busy in life, and the craving started to left me. It became weaker. It didn't leave me completely, but it left me to I would say 90 percent. Thank you. Well, I want to give you an example. I want to talk about it. I was, uh, I think, probably 15 years sober. And I traveled to Israel from the United States with a stop in Heathrow Airport in England. I had a stop, a uh, six-hour stop. 
I was hungry, tired. I came over the plane and I, and suddenly everything became sexualized. And I, I prayed and prayed and prayed. And I realized then that hungry, angry, hungry, angry, and lonely, tired. I was in the airport in a strange place. Nobody knows me. And I was tired, and hungry, death leg. And came back like the first year. So there are moments, I want to explain, there are moments that even though I'm sober for many, many years, sometimes it's a hard moment or situation that comes back and all comes the first step. I start praying. I made a commitment that never, never to stop over in the airport for so many hours after losing a night's sleep. And even it cost me a ticket, it cost me much more. I cannot afford that. It's dangerous for me. Accepting my first step. Thank you. Um, can you please give some practical suggestions to hold on to the first step despite it being a while since complete insanity? Okay, so reading the doctor's opinion again and again and again. I talked to my sponsors, I asked them, when did you read the doctor's opinion last? You don't have to finish it on one, read the doctor's opinion. Again, every three times a year, read the doctor's opinion, know it by heart, know it by heart, live it. And words, words have an impact on the person. By telling God, oh, they're powerless, I'm powerless, please help me, I'm powerless, I need you, I cannot do it myself. It, it becomes a part of me. By saying you prepare the prayers, prepare the words, you know, I want to say it's a joke, but Hitler used to say that a lie, if you repeat it a thousand times, it becomes true. And that's a lie, and the truth. The truth to stay the truth for sure. If you repeat it, you remember it. If I repeat it again and again, there's the truth, I'm powerless, but not to forget it in order to, to stay in my head, to stay here in my heart, I have to repeat it multiple times throughout the day. Sometimes I'm in my car, sometimes I'm in my bedroom. I just say, God, I'm powerless, I'm powerless. Only you can do it for me, only you. It's just just because I want to be close to God and remember where I come from. I want to have a first day. God, I'm powerless. I'm powerless. I need you. Only you can do it to me. Only you. Beg you. Give me one more day. Give me one more day. Just it's a part of my exercise. I do every day, multiple times. Thank you. Thank you, Hannah. Um, This is a good question. I am interested to hear the answer on this one. How do people who have a high bottom work on a strong step one? Okay, it's amazing. In my home group, I have a young, today a, a major part of them are young people in the twenties and thirties who only acted out with the computer and the internet and pornography. And I used to judge them when they came in. I wonder what connection they have to say. But they've told me they felt as desperate as I felt. Their life was falling apart. They could manage their life just from. I bother. Some people in my home group are very high professional executives and they tell me that you have the same desperation. I respect them for it. There are people like that. I, like the, you know, the AA book talks about it, that the old days people came to AA were homeless people. The second, third generation of people came already, we still had a home in two, car, two cars in the garage, you know. 
And today in SA we see it. A lot of people who come if they sober, they are desperate from the computer internet. And um, I respect them. Anybody struggles with that area, you need to talk to those people. And so this is the last question, and I want to thank you in advance for for joining us today. Uh, we I appreciated it a lot, and I'm uh, I'm very privileged to have a relationship with you, and I thank you for that. Um, the last question is: What do you think about joining a religious order and leaving the program versus not joining a religious order and staying in the program? Well, the program is is the foundation of life. Religion could be built on top of it. How could I join a religious order if I um, am not eating? I'm going to die, you know? If I don't eat and drink water, I'm going to die. Could I be a religious person? <laughs> I'm not going to be that. The, the program is the foundation of a simple life. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you.